Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for a meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways he calls us to go deeper still in relationship with him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast and my friends, what do I always say because I mean it? I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. You know, I was reflecting as I started this intro, as I was reflecting on this episode today, one of the things I love about my local church, and maybe you love this about your local church too, is that we are a church who cares about what's going on in the world around us. We care what happens in this building on a Sunday morning, but we know we were created for so much more than that. And so because of that, we support mission partners. We support organizations who are doing such amazing work, both locally and globally, who are making a ridiculous impact on the world around us. They are being the hands and feet of Jesus, and we are so incredibly grateful for them. And so this coming weekend on April 22nd and 23rd, we are hosting here at Christ Church on our Oak Brook campus what we call our Domestic Mission Fest, where we just have an opportunity to open our doors to invite our mission partners in and highlight some of their stories and the good work that God is doing in and through them. And the theme of the weekend is, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. We think that's a really important topic. And so we will be hosting a dinner on Saturday evening, followed by a panel discussion that I have the joy of leading. And then on Sunday morning, we will be graced with the presence of Jonathan Brooks, more affectionately known by some of you as Pastor Jay from Londale Community Church, who will be bringing our message. And so what does all of that have to do with Deeper Still? Well, because of all of that, our conversation today is going to be centered on what it means to welcome the stranger. To help guide our conversation today, I'm so excited to welcome Tara Vincent, the Director of Strategic Partnerships for World Relief. World Relief is an international humanitarian organization who partners with local churches around the globe to come alongside families who are displaced by violence, poverty, and injustice, both in the United States and across the world. For nearly 80 years, World Relief's mission has been to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable. And while World Relief serves the most vulnerable in a variety of ways, today's conversation is going to focus on the work they are doing to help relieve suffering in today's worldwide refugee crisis. My friend Tara not only brings her expertise from seeing this crisis firsthand in countries around the world, but she reminds us why we should care what we can do to help, and she also shares her own transformational journey as she has asked God what it means to welcome the stranger, and I think that's one of the most impactful pieces of the conversation today. And so my friends, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself, saddle up, settle in, and listen in as Tara and I go deeper still. Well, Tara, my friend, welcome to Deeper Still. I am so glad to have you here today. Thank you. Hi, Sue Ann. <laughs> Hi. I love that you started that way because I was, I was going to say the first thing that we need to do is confess to our listeners. I always say, like, I love podcasting, love the different people that come through here and the stories that I get to tell. But my favorite thing to do is when I get to podcast with friends. And so to look here <laughs> and see your face and to see your smile and to know, I'm podcasting with a friend today just makes it all the more fun and joyful. It has definitely made me 10 times more excited to be here today. So thank you. (laughs) Well, I was thinking about as I drove here today, a little bit about just our history and our friendship. The fact that we first met because we worked at an organization in the city together that supported women facing unplanned pregnancy and, and watching you use your gifts during that time to just empower people and equip people and, and call people to a mission higher than themselves. And since then, we have both moved on to different places and spaces that God has called us. And and this place for you with moving on to a position at World Relief, one of the joys for me to have you here is just to know the way that God continues to use your gifts and your callings in a new place as you have learned so many new things about the world around us and the way that God is moving in the lives of his people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think I... I wake up nearly every day 
still in unbelief that I get, that I'm called to this, that I just get to do this mm-hmm. um, with incredible people. And um, I just love that the Lord saved me and I'm here because of that. Mm. Well, we love it too. And people are better <laughs> for it. Uh, for those listening, uh, World Relief is one of our mission partners here at Christ Church. And so we are excited about the good work that they are doing and that we get to play just a tiny, tiny piece of that. Um, but Tara, as you... Um, is our audience is listening today. Not everybody is familiar with, with the work that World Relief does. And so will you take a minute and just share a uh, broad picture, high level, what's World Relief all about? Hmm. Well, our mission is to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable. And so we are a global humanitarian organization. Um, we are about to celebrate our 80th anniversary next year. Mm. And um, we began in disaster response right after World War II um, when just millions of people were displaced after the war. And there was a church here uh, on the East Coast that said, we've got to do something about that. And so eventually we grew to what we are today. And what I love about what we do today is I try to describe it as thinking about people who are displaced from their homes um, being on a continuum. And so before people are displaced from their homes, they live in very vulnerable situations. And that could be because of war. It could be because of persecution, uh, poverty, uh, natural disasters. Um, All these things um, may ultimately force people to flee. And so World Relief works in many countries around the world in those places to come underneath the church so that the church can be the agent to help them help bring more security um, change to their own, um, their own communities. But we also recognize that there are millions of people who do have to flee and the United States, we welcome people into this country who have fled all of these things. And so we also want to empower the local church to be the welcoming agents here. Mm. And how many churches do you all partner with around the globe? Oh, I think the number is like 5,000 wow. or something like that. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I think one of the cool things about that is is you realize that the church is really, I mean, it's God's agent, right? The church is such an amazing place to mm-hmm. do the kind of work and to partner with churches, both that are indigenous to the places where where people are experiencing uh, this displacement, as well as here in the States where we can welcome people who are need a new life, who, who for all kinds of reasons that we're going to get into today, that um, need, a, need a new place to call home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the church is Jesus's design to express his love and to be the hope of the world. And so no matter how messy the church can be or how we feel about the church, uh, we still believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Mm-hmm. And so you asked me the number of churches, the number of volunteers that we've equipped to actually go out and transform their communities is around 100,000 each year. And to me, that's indicative. Like World Relief as an organization is is a small fraction of people compared to that 100,000. So it's really the body of Christ that we want to see rise and be who Jesus created them to be. Mm, that's so amazing. And I know, I know some of those people who are mm-hmm. doing that work, who are your volunteers, who are being changed from the inside out. Not only are they helping people, but they themselves are being transformed, which is also just the beauty of the work that you do. Um, and the beauty of what happens when God's people rise up to these places. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Well, Tara, I want to focus our conversation today because I know that World Relief does so many good things in so many different areas. Um, but one of the things we want to talk about today is displaced people. I, I think that is something that is um, on people's minds. It's on people's hearts. We were talking a little bit before we came on air with the war in Ukraine and how the numbers have gone up. And so I think refugee is a term that's becoming more commonplace to people, but also is something that's still really misunderstood. And on your website, uh, on the World Relief website, 
there's a category that says that you serve refugees, immigrants, and displaced people. And I realized in reading that that I don't actually know, and maybe some of the people listening don't actually know, what the differences are between those terms. Can you enlighten us, uh, educate us about what these differences are and why that's important for us to understand? So if we start with displaced people, that is a broad term that describes anyone who has been forced to flee their home. And that could be because of war, persecution, or a natural disaster. So think of like people in Ukraine that have fled because of the war. They're displaced because they've been forced to flee. we are working right now in Turkey and Syria after the earthquakes, mm. and there's millions of people that have lost their homes because of that. They're displaced. Um, they could stay within their own country and be internally, but still displaced, mm. or they could have fled to another country. Uh, so a refugee is someone who fits in that category because they've had to flee, but they um, have fled because of persecution. And so there's categories of persecution like on the basis of things like race and religion, um, their nationality, um, and a few others that they have to prove that they have experienced that persecution or are in fear of it Mm -hmm. to be able to receive the status of a refugee. And... um, and the last one you asked about, immigrant. Um, again, I would say an immigrant is more of a broad term, someone who ha- was born in another country and is here. So they, they may not have fled because of persecution, but they were born in another country. That's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Because I think sometimes we maybe inadvertently interchange some of those terms. And so as we really drill down into refugees today, I think that's a really helpful distinction. And I think one of the things that's so interesting about what you said is they have to prove that they are fleeing in fear of their lives. I didn't know that. I, I don't know how someone actually proves that. I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about that. But also, I think it 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 helps already alter some misconceptions that people have about refugees, especially when they come here in the United States. So I know I just said two different things, but I would love to hear more about what what is part of that process of how they have to prove it and how can we learn from that because people have so many misconceptions. What are some of those misconceptions and, and how do we kind of get to a new place with that? So I just threw a lot of things at you, so I'm gonna let you, sorry. I'm thinking out loud, and so I'm gonna let you respond as you will. I think if I start thinking about the misconceptions, one of them might be fear, like people, because- um, That we are afraid. Yeah, that we yes. might be afraid. Um, when we see someone who's from another country and they're here. But what I hope to like encourage others is that our refugee resettlement program that is run by the government, the federal government, they it is a very the most thorough vetting process that exists. Hmm. So and it's when I say thorough, it is it takes years and years and years for someone who applies for refugee status in another country to be to obtain that status and when and this is a worldwide system this isn't just a US system and so when someone applies in another country for refugee status they don't get to apply to go to a particular country mm-hmm. the the UN has a system and when they pass through all the vetting processes um, they basically decide what country they go to. So of all the 40-plus years that the U.S. has had this, this in place, they're, they're, you know, one of my colleagues, Matthew Sorens, I heard him say years ago that in all the years that we've been accepting refugees, there has never been a single refugee who has taken the life of an American citizen. Wow. <laughs> and so when we think about that, that that fear may be falsely based on just an unknown, mm. um, but it is a very thorough, safe um, process that um, we should be proud of that our country does have in place. That's really That's really helpful. It also makes me think about what that might be like for 
it puts a new perspective on when you're waiting in a refugee camp, when you're in another country, you fled from, uh, you're in an unsafe place, you have fled for a different reason, you've been displaced from your home, you're in a refugee camp, and your future is not your own. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know how long it's going to take. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of loss associated uh, with being a refugee, and that's loss of control is one of them. And so not all refugees wait in camps. Uh, some of them flee to cities and or other areas, um, but many do live in camps. I think one thing that may surprise people is that because the process takes so long and there are so many people seeking a safe place to live in the world today that um, I have heard many stories of people who have lived in a camp, for example, for 17 years. 18 years, 15 years. They had children there, and when they finally got approved to go to another country, their children were, you know, teenagers and so, and have not known life outside of a camp, for mm-hmm. example, if that's where they started. So the process, and, and it ebbs and flows um, based on like different administrations in our, in our country, like how many people that can come. And so, it's like the 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 you know it's it's like a moving target all the time and so the system is there's a lot of people that are vulnerable and it just takes a long time it takes a long time well i think i read on your website that over 100 million people around the world have been forced to leave their home and that every day that number is growing grows by 37,000 mm-hmm. i mean that's that's staggering it's even hard for me to get my hands around it. Um, the The number was just eighty, not just, but it was eighty five million uh, a few years ago, and then once the war in Ukraine happened and or started, I should say, um, we all saw millions of people mm. on the news that were having to flee their homes, and so that's one of the factors that have pushed it from 85 million to 100 in just the last couple years. The um, pandemic also did that by creating a lot of food insecurity. Like we've we've kind of backed up in global progress on world hunger Mm. uh, 10 years because of the pandemic, Um, and not because like the virus itself, but because of the economic instability that's created. and. Oftentimes, people who are already vulnerable are even more vulnerable when something like that happens. So that crisis really uh, brought a lot of people into that situation. So from 85 million to 100 million in a very short amount of time. And so it is the, it is the largest global crisis. We've never seen a number that high. Mm. Wow. Wow, that's that's hard to get our mind around, and all the more reason that we need to be having this conversation, and all the more reason that World Relief, uh, the work that you guys do, is is just so valuable and so important. Mm-hmm. Um, Tara, as part of that work that you've done, you've gotten to travel to some places around the world. You've gotten to interact with different people. You've heard different stories. I know anytime we travel internationally, especially to maybe developing countries, our perspective changes. God uses that to, to change our outlook on the world. As you have traveled, what are what are some of the things that have stood out to you? Um, maybe that God has used, either they're surprising or they've challenged you or they've helped change your perspective as you have worked in this arena. Well, I most recently had the huge privilege of going to Cambodia and I'd never been to Asia before. And so stepping into an a culture that's entirely different uh, from where I live now was a little daunting. But what I I think what I was inspired by was getting this amazing opportunity to visit this woman's home that she was part of what we call a savings group. This is a, a small group of people that come together. The poorest of the poor don't have access to things like banks. And so what one thing that World Relief does with the local church is, is help organize 
these small groups so that they can pool even the smallest amount of money together um, week after week after week. And they can take loans from each other since they don't have access to loans another way to also make it like investments into generating some you know income for their family. So I sat in this woman's home who had been part of a savings group and she was getting ready that day to um, she was she she has like a catering company and I wish I could show you a picture because it may not be what you come you know comes to your mind as a catering company but she had this basket and um, just dozens of sticky rice wraps wrapped in banana leaves and she was making dozens of them and she said she was getting ready for a wedding. And so she is so entrepreneurial and she had this idea. I said, how did you learn how to cook this? Because it was amazing. It tasted amazing. And she said, my mom had the recipe and I grew up eating this. So I thought, what if I could start selling this in the market? Mm. And then once she started selling it in the market, stay saving a little bit, then she said, well, what if I could scale this up and start offering the food for weddings. And so you just see that people are made in the image of God. They have gifts. They have creativity. They love to use them. Mm -hmm. And so even though they may be the poorest of the poor, that doesn't take away from their value, but also their, all of these things, their creativity, they, you know, um, and they want to they, they want to use their gifts. Mm -hmm. And so I just sat there in awe of her with a big smile on my face as she was sharing her dreams. Mm -hmm. And so just because they're in a situation and they're poor or they're vulnerable doesn't mean they don't have dreams. Mm -hmm. And so it's really cool to see uh, someone, like I said, made in the image of God, just really using her gifts. Well, I love that you point out some inspiration. You said the word, you were inspired by that. And so often we Absolutely. see these dire situations or we hear the statistics and we hear these stories and we think about the, the situations that these, um, that people encounter and yet, and yet there is still some joy. There is inspiration. There is dreams and hopes in the midst of that. And mm -hmm. I, I love that you, you call that out mm. and that's such an important reminder for us. I wonder also, as you've listened to people's stories, what do you what do you hear from them about what um, what do refugees or displaced people wish that the rest of us knew about them? Hmm. I love that you're asking this question because I just asked um, I was with my team two weeks ago and we were able to ask a group of people um, that were displaced that question and they had amazing answers. And, and there was a few things that really stuck out to me. The first thing they said is they want people to know that we're good. Mm, what do you think they meant by that? I think that they recognize that there, that there are like preconceived notions about who they are. Mm. And to me, it's like a like a heart cry. Like, I'm like you. Mm. You know, I care about the same things. And that's another thing they said is that I'm like you. I care about my kids being safe. And so um, another thing that they said is they want to achieve things. They're, they're not looking to just take mm. but want to give. And I think all of us can can relate to that. Even if like we've been knocked on our off our feet for a while and people come around us how it feels to receive help at first and we know that you know that it blesses others to do that. Um, but they have such a deep desire to use their gifts and thrive where they're at and achieve something. And another thing that they said is that they wanted people to know that they were worried about their family members that are still back home. Mm. And so, and if it were me and I was separated from my kids, uh. I would be worried about them insanely. And so I have two boys. And so I just think that if I was just separated, and we're not talking about separated, like I could just get on a plane and go visit my son at Arizona State. 
We're talking about a, a distance that you can't close. And they're in danger, and you're on a journey fleeing danger. And so they just want people to know that they're like us, and they're afraid for their family. Mm. Well, I'm so glad that you shared that, because even as you were talking, I'm imagine, I'm starting to put myself in their shoes. I'm starting to imagine here in the States, I'm a contributing member to society. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a job. I, I do things. I raise my family. I, and then all of a sudden, I'm just imagining myself. I lose my home. I lose my culture. I lose my country. I'm somewhere else that now I can't contribute at the same way, at least initially. There's language barriers, there's all the things. And then what would it feel like on top of that for people of another country to look at me and think that all I wanna do is take? Um, When I have been a contributing member to society, I have gifts and callings, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden now not being able to use those is a grief, it's a loss. It's not a gift that all of a sudden you can't do that, right? You want to do those things. And I think that just goes back to some of the misconceptions. And you're also um, pointing out the severe grief and the losses that they face that probably most of us don't even really think about. Yeah, what's coming to my mind right now is um, my friend Nilab, mm. who has been at Christ Church of Oak Brook before. She'll be back She's amazing. I hope those of you listening to this, she will be back on um, Saturday night for our Mission Fest. I know not all of you who listen come to Christ Church, but you don't want to miss Nilab's story. She's amazing. She came as a refugee from Afghanistan right after 9-11. And how she describes it is that, and she was a teenager at the time. So she said, you know, she loves Afghanistan. Of course, she loves her culture. She loves everything about her home country. But she said she had a picture of the United States, you know, before before they had to flee that was in the movies and just positive. And um, it kind of excited, not excited to leave, but to to be in the U.S. Hopeful. Hopeful. Like she was hopeful, optimistic. Yeah, like she would be welcomed. Yes. And she said one of the most traumatic things she ex- has experienced was when she arrived in the U.S. with a hopeful in being welcomed. Um, she had found out. Now she's a teenager, so she like went to hi- uh, got started high school, and. She said she had found out that the teachers ahead of her arrival told the students that she was a terrorist and to avoid her. And so she was confused, mm. confused and heartbroken and angry and sad. And just the trauma that she went through, having people think that she was one thing when that wasn't who she was. She's bright. She's funny. She's loving. Yes. I mean, you've met her. She's beautiful. She's what absolutely beautiful. And yeah. her whole family was a part of their society. Yes. And so um, I think hearing her story just reminds me of like how important it is to start with like love if i mean if i was if i was like you just said in that situation where i lost everything in another country i would need a friend mm. i would need a friendly face to help me navigate it yeah yeah and so and i think that's what we're called as christians to be here is yes. to be the friendly face yes well let's let's talk about that because we've talked a lot about the experience of what it's like to be displaced to flee what those losses are to leave to come to the united states what are some of the challenges that refugees face when they get here? And how can we help in that space? Mm. Well, one of the challenges is, so everything is new, right? They're not used to the culture. They um, sometimes, not always, um, don't know the language. And um, like one of I remember one of my colleagues, um, his name is Dermomo, and he was born in Sudan. The way he described arriving, he said he was used to living in 
like a uh, like a crowded area, a city with smells and food and, you know, his own culture. And he arrived at O'Hare and people picked him up and we'll kind of get back to that. But he said, I didn't know where I where they were taking me. Mm. I, I didn't know them. I didn't know the language. I didn't know where I was going to work. I didn't know anything. And all of that being a massive unknown is there's so many obstacles. And so one of them is the language barrier. And so I know, I, you know, people might imagine or ask, you know, why don't they learn English? And so they want to learn English. And at the same time, transportation is like a huge barrier. You know, like I live in the suburbs of Chicago. It's very hard to get around without a car. Mm. <laughs> so if you don't know the language and you don't have a car and you don't have a job, like these are, are massive obstacles. And so one of the things, and if I put my World Relief hat on for a second here, like one of the things that World Relief do- does is that we offer the vital services that, that refugees and other immigrants need when they arrive. And the things I just mentioned, we help secure apartments for them. Um, and then volunteers donate all the items to fill the apartment and um, we have a case manager that helps them navigate some of the, the legal things that they need to do, um, get medical appointments, um, introduce them to schools for their kids, um, start getting them in their first job, which they need to do in the first 90 days, um, get them in English classes, like all these things that need to happen right away. Mm-hmm. And also introduce them to incredible volunteers who want to be friendship partners to them. And so, yeah, so especially in the Chicagoland area, I'd say um, housing, or I mean transportation. I mean, housing is a big challenge for World Relief to find, but once they are in an apartment, certainly transportation, uh, learning the language, um, oftentimes their first job is like an entry-level job. And I think all of us can imagine how hard it is to rent an apartment and live in this area on a like a minimum wage job. Mm. So many of them are working two jobs or three jobs just to hold it all together while they hold trauma and grief. And so it's a lot. It's a lot. But they're incredibly... um, What inspires me is how resilient they are and how continually, like, loving that they can be. And, And, I mean, they're human just like we are, but... And so sinful and complicated and, of course, all of those things. But they also, I think we have so much to learn from them. Mm. Well, thanks for painting such a beautiful picture. I was actually just at a wedding a couple of weeks ago with a a family who has been World Relief volunteers. They've adopted a a refugee family. I think it's probably over the last year or two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, they brought, I think, from the Sudan Yes, this family is because I know you know them, and yes. they came to this wedding at the you know the Drake Hotel down the road in Oakbrook, Illinois. Which for those of you listening outside this area, it's a nice place. And the the family came, and it was the first time they'd been in an environment like that at an American wedding, and they thought we were a little um, little too stuffy. I think <laughs> they said we weren't quite joyous enough. Which you know, go figure. Of course, we uh, it was fun, but you know, again, that different culture. But that was an example of a of a group of people who have adopted this family and have helped them along every step of the way and now are inviting them in to be part of their community and their life. And it was just, it was so inspiring for me to see. Mm. You know, as I think about, you just remind me of Nilab again, going yes. back to my friend from Afghanistan. And when I've had conversations with her asking her, what's it like in Afghanistan? What do you love about your country? And so... And we've talked about getting together for dinner. And I said, so what, what is it like when you get together with your family? And she's like, oh, dancing. Yes. We all like we all dance and we dance all night and we dance, dance, dance. And she's like, don't you guys dance when you get together with your family? I'm like, no, <laughs> never. <laughs> and so um, I just it makes me smile. It yeah. makes me want to um, learn more. Yes. 
and appreciate the beauty yes. of the diversity of the people on this planet yes. and how beautifully and wonderfully God has created us so different that we can choose to be curious yes. and enjoy that. Yes. That's such a beautiful word. Yeah, that's so good. Which Tara reminds me of just, we've talked about this a little bit of, you know, as Jesus people, as people of faith, why is this an issue we should care about? And you just articulated some of it, but it, there is a, there is a, I mean, we sometimes get compassion fatigue, right? We, we look around, we see so many needs in this world. And, and because this is such a complex and messy, um, issue sometimes it's easier for us sometimes to not get involved but i'm wondering like what is your encouragement what is your call to people of faith to say this is why you need to care about this issue i think it's really simple i think as a follower of jesus i believe that the bible is the inspired word of god and the bible says that god created everyone in his own image and if I believe that, then every person on this planet is made in his image and is worthy of dignity, no matter what circumstances they're in. And so that first and foremost elevates my, okay, they are all important to the Lord. And so that means that they should also be very important to me. And I was... Like Jesus came after me. He saved me when I was 30. And I, mm. I I just still am just so humbled and grateful that he did that. And think about the love that I've received is now my gift to give to others. Now, I say that simple, but it's not always, it's a process, you know. And sometimes I love out of, I have to ask the Lord, Lord, I know that you've called me to love, and so would you give me your love mm. for this person? And um, and sometimes I do it just because I want to also be obedient. You know, like if he's saying that we should love the orphan, the widow, the the foreigner, like he's very specific in his word over and over and over about welcoming the stranger. And and I even love that being a foreigner is like a metaphor that God's given us as Christians. Like we are a foreigner here on this earthly place that we're in. I think he wants us to identify a bit with foreigners. And so um, that's that's you know, that's like that's like my that's that's our calling. That's my calling. And but above all that, he puts joy in that place. And so um, once it moves from a, like an issue to we have some proximity, like even I, you know, mentioning Nilab, um, once you, once I have a conversation and get to talk to someone about all the things that they love about their country, whether it's her with Afghanistan or I was just in Cambodia, I, I feel like God opens my eyes to how big he is mm. and how incredibly diverse he's created people and to celebrate that. So I think that's why we should care. People are made in the image of God. And you mentioned compassion fatigue, so I just don't want to like, you know, kind of code over that. It that's a real thing. And these are big problems and we hear a hundred million people are displaced. But he's not there these are problems that are too big for us. And they're too big for you know, like Christ Church of Oakbrook, like certainly they're too big, but they're, but they're not too big for his church, mm. big C, o across the whole globe. And so if we see ourselves as one component of a global church, that our role is key, and it may be being a friend to someone who wasn't, who wasn't born here. And so um, I think if I what I want to add is just a couple weeks ago, I was, I said, with my team and one of my colleagues, she is married to an immigrant and she laid down a charge for us that I'll just never forget her face. And she's like, sweet, sweet, sweet as all can be. <laughs> and she just stood up in her chair and said, listen, if, if you don't know someone who is 
an immigrant or, you know, she said, if you don't have a friend who is born in another country, go find one. Mm. <laughs> like, it's not just something we just take a pass on. And she said it in such a loving way. I was like, you're right. You're right. It's a gift to be able to have my eyes opened and to get to know someone from another country. Yes. Yeah. And the intentionality that takes and then the way mm-hmm. that we can be transformed because of it mm-hmm. um, is such a such a great part of not only all of our stories or can be, but I know it's part of your story. And so what I love about hearing you talk about the work World Relief is doing is I also know, because I know pieces of your story, that you have been transformed. It's very obvious, listen to you, you have been transformed by the work that you have done. God has changed your heart in so many ways. And so I'm wondering, as you know, we're starting to wrap up on time a little bit, but take us back to when you first started working at World Relief, because I know that in and of itself is, is a God story and part of your story of what has transformed you. And so Tara, why are you working at World Relief and how have you been changed because of it? Well, I I do love this story because it is a God story. And um, just working in this space or even in the global space was has not been my history or my upgrowing. You know, where I where I grew up was not diverse. And so this is all very, very new to me. And and I was in a place where I was in a, you know, in a role where I used to work with you, Sue Ann, that I loved that organization. I didn't want something new. And so as, as God was drawing me and I was interviewing to come to World Relief, I remember the day before I was going to get on an airplane and I was going to a job interview at World Relief. Our home office is in Baltimore. So I stop at this place to go get a manicure and just notice that the woman who is, you know, working on my my nails, she is talking to the woman next to her in a different language. And so I ask her, oh, what language are you speaking? And she says, oh, I'm yeah, Vietnamese. And so I just start asking her questions, but oh, tell me about tell me about you. And she starts unraveling this story. And it took her a few minutes to basically stop what she was doing and started to go deep into what it was like in Vietnam and how her dad had helped the military. And so the government was breaking into their homes, stealing their money and all the persecution. And so when they fled and arrived at O'Hare, they only had a dollar. She said, I remember my dad only had a dollar in his pocket. And I'm sitting here like going, what's happening right now? And so she says, I said, well, what, what happened? And she said, well, organization called World Relief saved my life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, God, I'm listening. And she said, this group of people picked us up at the airport, all these volunteers from this church that we didn't know and took us to our apartment that was already set up and had food, Vietnamese food in our refrigerator, like all these wonderful, loving things. And they helped us get our first job. And so she like unpacked all of this. And she had literally stopped working on my nails and like the towels she was wiping my hands off with, she started wiping her eyes off with. Mm-hmm. And I was I just, I was thinking to myself, boy, if... If it were me in another country, I would want an organization like World Relief to be able to, you know, save me, if you will, like be there for me and all the people making me feel welcome. And the next day as I came back from the interview and was in my car, um, headed out to in the shuttle to at the parking lot at the, um, at the airport, the woman next to me asked me, so where were you? And I told her, Baltimore, I just had an interview with this organization called World Relief. And the driver of the shuttle looked in the rearview mirror and said, World Relief, World Relief saved my life. Ah. The literal, the same phrase. And I says, oh, God, what, what do you want to say to me? And he, un- he just said, I just came here from Iran three years ago. And, you know, he was saying, do you know this English teacher? I'm like, no. <laughs> But the, the woman in the shuttle looked at me and she says, I think you better take this job. 
And but the mm-hmm. what the Lord's done in me since then is just open my eyes more and more to how great He is. And so I have learned, um, as opposed to fear, to have a posture of wonder. And I think He's done that in my heart. So like when I went to Cambodia and was a little nervous to just be in wonder, like, so tell me about what it's like here. Tell me about your culture. What is it like to live in a Buddhist country? Like, and once you enter into a relationship with wonder, God just never stops surprising me on filling me with joy, filling me with love for other people. And I think he's really just radically breaking down fear and I just love to see what he's doing. So Tara, if someone is listening right now and they're like, wow, and I don't know how someone could be listening to this conversation and not say, wow, I've teared up several times just listening to you and watching just the joy and passion on your face in telling this story. If someone is having their heart stirred right now and they thought, I need more of this, I want to get involved, I'm going to do something, but I don't know where to start. What's the first thing you would tell them to do? Pray. I would. I would pray because the Lord wants to do that work in us. And he wants us to be salt and light in this world. And so this just goes to the core of who he is and who he wants us to be. And so I have had to ask the Lord, could you help me have love for someone? Um, Just recently, he kind of said, I I need you to pray about the blind spots you have on some stereotypes. And I'm like, I have stereotypes? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, I, I know I do. And so just starting a journey with him, I would honestly start there. And there's lots of materials you could dive into, but what a beautiful place is to say, Lord, I want this heart change. And so would you give it to me? Because he will. And then he would orchestrate something way beyond you could ever plan out yourself. Um, I would also absolutely recommend like going to World Release website. We have got simple ways to just get started and do something just step one step, you know, outside of, of you know, um, like beyond yourself and just start navigating to lots of ways that we would love to guide you on your journey to becoming a friendship partner or to meeting someone that you don't know how else to meet. Um, Boy, uh, the group of volunteers that we mentioned here um, at Christ Church that came along, the Sudanese family, I think one of the things that most touched me, what they said was surprising to them on that journey, is that they fell in love. And it's surprising, but not surprising. Like, why wouldn't the Lord do that? He would, of course, overflow us with love and hope and joy by just obeying Him and reaching out to somebody else. So inspiring. So good. I hope people listening are writing this down. And we'll share a few ways. We'll make sure we share a few ways at the end of this podcast that you can make it really easy for you to do a couple of those things. Tara, as we wrap up our time today, I just have one last question. And it's the question I ask every guest that comes on this podcast, the deeper still question. And that is, um, you know, so often you just said something. You said, wow, I still have blind spots. (laughs) I think that's such an evidence of the fact that just when we think we're in a place where like, God, I've got this. We're doing, I'm doing good. I'm right where you want me. He challenges us. He, he challenges us to go deeper, and then he challenges us to go deeper still. And so what's one area in your life right now where God is calling you to go deeper still? I think I already maybe let the cat out of the bag <laughs> when, I, when I talked about um, his challenge to me about some stereotypes that I may still have. And so I've been asking him about that. Um, But also my colleague, Sarah, who kind of threw down that challenge that if you don't have a close friend who's an immigrant, then go get one. And so I can talk about what we do, which I love to do, and I love what World Relief does. 
Um, but what does my own personal like circle of relationships looks like? And I want to not just meet people from other countries when I travel, but there's so many people around me. And so that's where I think like he is asking me to go deeper still by having more proximity with people that are different than me um, for not their transformation, but for mine. Well, Tara, thank you so much for being honest. Thanks for being vulnerable. Thanks for challenging us. Thanks for equipping us. Thanks for breaking down some of those uh, preconceived notions that we may have, those stereotypes, just by telling your story and being who you are. So thanks so much for being here with us at Deeper Still. Continued blessings on your good work and the work at World Relief. You are saving lives through the power of Jesus and through the local church. And so thank you for being part of that. Mm, Thank you. It's been such a blessing to be here. Well, friends, I hope that conversation was as inspiring and challenging for you as it was for me. I just have to confess, it's one of the areas I believe God is calling me to go deeper still. I know some of you listening feel the same. And so my hope and my prayer is that we just pray about this together and see where God takes us. If you are interested in the good work World Relief is doing, be sure, be sure, just do it. Go to worldrelief.org, see some of the things they are doing. They have some great videos that help capture some of the stories that Tara has been talking about. And whenever you do go there, be sure to click on that Get Involved button. And you will see ways you can get involved both as an individual volunteer as well as a church partner. I can't encourage you enough to do that. If you're local and you are interested in joining us at Christ Church on our Oak Brook campus for our domestic mission program this weekend, I'd encourage you to just come out and join us. I have the privilege, as I said earlier, of leading that panel discussion on Saturday evening. And in addition to including World Relief, we also have the joy of welcoming Sergei Karpenko, who is a Ukrainian pastor, and Cassandra Ma, the director of Reclaim 13. And we're just going to continue this conversation about what it means to welcome the stranger. You can always, of course, learn more about that and register at Christchurch.us. Well, we'll be back with another episode of Deeper Still in two weeks, where I will be talking to Inez Franklin, a teaching pastor at Mariner's Church out in Seattle, and the author of Unchartered, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. So be sure to come back then. I can't wait to see you. And until then, make sure you're paying attention and go in God's grace. Oh, 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 o